0: twenty-one. All full of stories today about the various righteous people. We're going to start off with a story because we were talking about as, um, the prohibition not to enter a, a dilapidated building or be under a wall. So another story about that. And then we'll see more stories about places where a famine came to one area but not another and uh, the responses of rabbis when they decided to uh, make a fast even in areas that were farther away. Um, so, but a lot to learn from these stories. So we begin These two sages uh, who studied together, Havu garseh they were studying Torah, tuba. but they were very, really impoverished, impoverished and the pressure became too much. And so they said, you know, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't make a living. So they said, we'll stop learning and we're going to go to, into business. After all, the Torah says that, uh, it's talking about that you should give to the poor so that eventually if you help the poor, then there will no, be no more poor among you. And we are poor, we're, we're dependent on others and we shouldn't be. So we'll go into business so that. At least two people now will get out of poverty and won't have to rely on the community. So uh they happen to be sitting under a, a a rickety wall. Now, why are they doing it? We just said you shouldn't. So probably they didn't look at it carefully and they didn't realize that it was dilapidated. So they happened to be sitting there. And they were they broke bread together, and two angels came. Uh and are watching them. Shema'e de Biochananda Marhade Khavre the Biochanan overheard one angel saying to the other, Nishte Alayu hai gudaveniktelinhu, and now's our chance. Let's throw this rickety wall down upon them and kill them. And whenever people put themselves in a dangerous situation, then, uh, then um, that, that it, it puts them in real danger. And then so then the angels are like, you know, maybe they deserve it. Being a dangerous situation means you're going to be judged to see uh, if you deserve to be saved. And he said, one angel said, they don't deserve it because they're leaving the eternal life, meaning the study of Torah. And they decided to just go into business, which is only temporal life. The other angel said, "Leave them alone, because one of them, their time is yet to come. Their time to shine. One of them is going to become uh, not just a student, but is going to become a teacher, a sage, a rosh yeshiva." So Rabbi Chanan Shema Ilfa Lo Rabbi Chanan was able to overhear these angels speaking. Ilfa, however, was not able to overhear interesting ilfa never gets a title of rabbi so you can see that he wasn't at the same level Amar alad biyo hanan ilfa shama mor midi biyo says ilfa did you hear anything? Is it only me? He says, yeah, it's only you. Why? I didn't hear anything. So since I heard, overheard the angels and Ilfa didn't overhear them, it must be they're talking about me, that I have a lot of potential, and my you know uh, my time is still to come. I'm going to become Rosh Shiva. and this is a bad decision. If I go now into business... I'm going to lose out this opportunity. uh, This is a great line. Yochanan says to Ilfa, "I changed my mind. I'm not going to go with you on this business trip. I'm going to go back home and learn Torah and fulfill a different verse." This this pasuk is in the same uh, a few pasukim later from the other one that says you should always give a charity because there will always be poor in the land. If you look at you see it's a paradox. So they're both ways of encouraging uh, the uh, landowners to give. First, because you should try your best to try to solve poverty, but you should know that it probably will never be solved. There's always going to be poor. So be generous and open your hand uh, so that, that, that this... Um, this story is uh, um, taking advantage of that contradiction within this chapter to say, uh, Rabbi Yochanan changes his mind. Oh, yeah, there's another pasuk. Like, whatever path you choose, you can justify with one pasuk or another. I said, there's always going to be poor people. So, you know what? I may as well be poor, but at least I will learn Torah. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan hadar, Ilfa lo hadar. Ilfa Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan went, went back. Ilfa did not uh, go back to study Torah. And by the time Ilfa came back from his business trip, Rabbi Yochanan became a, um, a, a Rosh Yeshiva. mor So everyone said to Ilfa, if you um, had sat and studied, instead of going business, then maybe you would have been appointed. But Ilfa was not deterred. Ilfa wanted to prove that even though he went on business, he did not lose his learning. He would he kept up and he's still a master of Torah. And he wanted to prove it with the following test. He he suspended himself from the mast of a ship all the way up high. And he went climbed all the way up there. And he said, a challenge. I challenge anyone to ask me any braita from the collection of the and Rabbi O'Shayah. They were famous for collecting a Baraitot. And it, tell me a braita, and I will uh, show you the source of that braita from the Mishnah. This is a very hard thing to do. A Mishnah is more is, is more limited, it's a closed canon, and there are many, many more Brahita Baraitot that were not included in the Mishnah. But this is very interesting. He's uh, he's assuming that um, everything uh, all of uh, all of all the Brahitot are somehow encoded within the Mishnah, that the Mishnah is a very concise. Document, but within it, if you know it well and know it carefully, you can derive from it all of the all of law, all of, the, all of the laws. And he said, "I know how to do that. This is quite amazing. You have to know the whole Mishnah and also have to be really brilliant in knowing how to derive one principle for another, one case from a, 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 even a hint in the in the Mishnah. And if not, if you tell me something and I don't know it, I will I will jump from this mast." and be drowned. All right, he's putting himself in another dangerous situation here. So let's see what happens. Here's the bright that he presents him. He says, you're going to have to prove this from a Mishnah. If someone on his deathbed says, I want you to give a shekel to my sons every week to sustain them as opposed to usually a person will leave his whole estate to his sons. But maybe, for example, um, the estate is large and he doesn't want his young sons to be spoiled and not work. So, but he wants them to be taken care of somewhat. He says this language, I want the, uh, the person in charge to uh, give, one, give a shekel every week. But based on the needs, you look at the, how big their, their, their families are, the person they would need a Selah more double the amount of a shekel not then uh, we should allow them the, the children to get a Selah. The point is that we we look at the father's intentions. he didn't mean literally only a shekel he meant uh, a, 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 an amount that would sustain them uh, but not not more than that. And so we can uh, estimate what that is and that if it's a Selah, then we follow a sale, we follow his intention, not his literal words. But if the father on his deathbed said, only give them a shekel, well, then that language is clearer that he means it literally only a shekel. He wasn't just saying in general a coin. And then in that case, you give him only a shekel. That's all in the Braita. The B'raita continues. If on his deathbed the father said that when if, should my um, should my sons die, then that that part of the inheritance should go to a third party. That and he names some person. Um, uh, so in that case, then whether he said the word tenu. Um, like the first formulation, or if he said the second formulation, don't give them anything more than a shekel, it doesn't matter. We only give a shekel. The point here is that even if he just said the general, give a shekel, once he says that when they when if my kids die, it should go to someone else. You see, his point was not to take care of the kids, because if it was just take care of the kids, then he wouldn't there would be no need to give that amount to a third party. So, once he's giving it to a third party, then he means only that specific amount. He didn't mean take care of the kids, whatever they need. Um, okay, that is the whole braita. And you don't find anything about this in the Mishnah. Mishnah does not include this case. So, this is a real challenge that this elder gave him. He's up on the mast and he has to come up with the answer. And uh, Ilfa says. <laughs> So he says, oh, I know that follows the Bimeir. In the Mishnah, the Bimeir says that you always have to follow the words of someone who is on, of the dead, someone who was on his deathbed, someone in his will. You follow their words, as opposed to another uh, um, opinion that says, no, we follow the regular law and all the money will go to the children. Here it says we follow the, the, the intent and the letter of the will of the deceased, that's Rabbi Meir, so all this is simply an application of Rabbi Meir's principle. So there you go, see, Ilfa, even though he went to study, he didn't give up on Torah, um, but that was not his uh, his destiny. Um, so this is a really um, a, a fun story, but also an important story. It shows that um, there's, a, a, the, a, there's always a tension between um, either studying Torah and being poor and relying on the community, versus going and making and 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 uh, going into business, um, where one's Torah learning, even if it's it's top notch like Ilfa, is will not be as top as Rabbi Hanan. And maybe here the point is that Rabbi Hanan felt himself that he's destined for great things, so for him it's worth that effort. And uh, and worth it for the community to sustain him while he's poor to be, to go to that extent. Whereas for, for Ilfa, although he was a great Talmud Chacham, was not going to become the head of, head of a yeshiva. And so for that person, it was better for him to combine his Torah study with business. So this is uh, very relevant today as well. And this is a good story to use as um as guidance. Okay. We're gonna quote another famous story. It has to do also with a rickety building. And so it's about Nahum, Ish Gamzo. His name actually is, it used to be, it was really Gimzo. He was, came from a town called Gimzo. It was a, it was a town. We know where it is uh, near, near Lod. Um, but uh, they made a play on his, uh, a play of words on his name, that because he always was positive. Even in terrible situations, he kept an uh, optimistic a- attitude. So they called him Nahum, who says, Gamzo the Tova this also is for good so let's see this uh, this uh, 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 tragic story about him he was blind in both eyes he his his arms were both amputated his legs were both amputated and above all that his entire body was full of boils which are so itchy and he couldn't even itch them it's terrible. And for after all that, he was he lived in a dilapidated house, and his the legs of his bed were in buckets of water. So the ants wouldn't be able to climb up. They can't swim. Uh, otherwise, if they climbed up on the bed and they crawled on him, he wouldn't be able to shoot them off. And that would be even more painful. So uh, he was still a great sage. The students came to study with him and the students wanted to help him out. So they say wanted to move him out of this rickety house. So they said, first, let's get him out of his bed and then we'll take out all the other furniture and vessels. said, No, the opposite. First, take out all the stuff. And then take out me in, with the bed. He said, you can be sure that as long as I'm in the house, the house will not fall. Right? We talked about how in the by, by the merit uh, of a great person, uh, it will not fall. We saw that a lot of sages didn't want to use up their merit for this, um, but they also, he happened already be in the house, so he didn't want to fall. Um, and so he says, leave me in the house first. It's not going to fall while I'm in it. And so they did. They took out the furniture and then took him out. And as soon as he got out of the house, the house, in fact, did fall down. The students see you're so righteous. That this amazing miracle happened for you that the, the house stayed, uh, stayed strong while you were in it. So how did, how did such a terrible suffering come upon you? Actually, I caused it to myself. What happened? I was going once on the way on the road to my father-in-law's house, and I was bringing a whole feast with me: three donkey loads, one full of food, one full of drink, and one full of desserts. A poor person stopped me on the road. He says, Master, please give me some, give me something to eat. Okay. Obviously, in this case, you can't say, oh, I have nothing on me. He had; It was evident. He has three donkey loads of food. So he had no excuse. He didn't want to make an excuse. He's a Sadiq and he wanted to help out. So he said, just give me a hold on a minute. I, I want to I wanna unload the donkey. So when you're on the road and you load the donkey, you do everything perfectly. You know, like when you have to load up a, a, a car and you got to fit everything in and uh, if you move one thing, then they won't fit back. So he says, let me unload the donkeys. It's a process. And then I'll get plenty of food and I'll feed you, right? Just wait here for a minute. But by the time I I, I didn't get a chance to unload, while I was doing that, I I didn't get a chance to unload the donkey and the poor person died. In other words, he was on his last uh, bit of strength. He was so um, uh, famished that he couldn't last even that few minutes. So Nachum felt so bad for him that he fell on his face and shame and he cursed himself. He says, "These eyes that had no compassion on you, they should become. They should be. They should go blind. These hands that didn't have compassion on your hands, um, uh, they should be cut off. Oh, my legs, which had no compassion on your legs, like we're the same. You know, I I, I should have taken care of you as I would my myself. Uh, so my legs should be uh, that didn't run fast enough." Should be cut. And all those curses wasn't enough. I still was so upset at myself that I added another uh, curse that my body should be full of boils. And the student says, Woe to us that we have to see you in such a sad state. And Nachum says, "What would be to me if you didn't see me in this way? If I didn't have these curses come upon me that I deserve because I indirectly uh, uh, um, killed a man, and so I, I I deserve these, and I'd rather be atoned in this way than uh, have um, than uh, lose my, my my merit for the world to come." Uh, so that that's that's the that's the story of how he became in the uh, this way. Um, it's. Uh, a, a, a pretty extreme story, but maybe if we think of it as you know, in terms of uh, uh, EMT worker, you know, you come to a scene and you see someone bleeding, and he says, "Oh, okay, he needs a tourniquet. He needs to. We never got to put pressure on this." And he says, "Okay, wait here. I have an old T-shirt in this uh, suitcase, right? And wait till I take it out." And he un, 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 uh, takes out his trunk and right and finds it and puts everything neatly. Okay, it takes three minutes. By the time he gets back to him, the guy is uh, the guy is dead. Right when there's an emergency situation and you jump and drop everything and do it, and so he wasn't um, uh, sensitive enough to see that the, the poor person uh, was on his last leg and, um, uh, and was more concerned about keeping everything neat. Um, okay, so that's Nahumi, and you see he has, still has a positive attitude. He says, Oh, this is one, this is good that I can be atoned for the sin that I made. That is not how he got his his name originally. He got his optimistic attitude even in a story before this story happened. Everything that would happen to him, he said, this too is for the good. One time, Jewish people wanted to send a gift. Uh, Doron, a good Greek word, uh, means gift. To the emperor, who should we send? Let's send So obviously, this story happened before the one before the one before. Otherwise, he couldn't wouldn't walk. So this is when he was uh, still healthy. And because he is so great, he can do miracles. And we want to make sure that this chest full of. Uh, fine uh fine jewels and everything gets there safely, and the emperor will accept it from us. So we gotta send someone with um with protection. So they sent in his hands. See, so he has to have hands, but n- n- not literally. Um, they sent with him a chest full of jewels and pearls, um, Azal but. And he went and slept in a certain inn. While he was in this inn, there was some uh, uh, shady characters there, other residents, and they saw he has this fancy box with him. And so they opened up the chest and they took all of the um, uh, of the precious jewels and and they put afra they put dirt in it. They were smart. They didn't just empty it and empty it and run, right? They filled it with other things that would be just as heavy, and uh, and uh, that way nobody would notice, and they can get away with it. Um, in some editions, there's an added line that says. Nachum opened the box uh, in the morning and said, this is also for good. But that doesn't make sense, because if he saw there was dirt in the box, he certainly would not have continued on his journey. So it means he didn't open the box in the morning, and he thought there's still jewels, and he picks it up and goes. He gets to the emperor's palace. And they opened this chest, and everyone saw it's full of dirt. The king said, off with everyone's heads, right? What is this A a kind of insult is? They bring me a gift of dirt. See, the Jews are mocking me by bringing this. Even in this dire situation, right? The king just sentenced them to death. He says, this is also for good, right? Somehow this will work out. Ata um, Eliyahu um, comes to the rescue. He appears to them he, like a Roman uh, minister. No, this is not regular dirt. Maybe this is special dirt that Abraham, their, father, their forefather, used when he went out to wars magic um, uh, fighting dirt. Um, and uh, this, uh, this dirt, when you throw it up, it turns into swords. Um, okay. uh, and if you throw up, throw up stubble, it turns into arrows. Um, the, uh, Abraham was able to do that. He um, says that his sword makes them as dust his bow, as driven stubble. Okay, so there you go. Maybe this is some magic that the Nevi'im were referring to that Avraham had. Happens to be that the Roman Empire was fighting in a certain province and they they couldn't win this, this battle. They kept trying. So they said, test it out over there, bringing it, bring it to that front line, and let's see if this uh, new secret weapon will work. And they did, and it worked, and they were able to conquer that town. So they, the emperor was so happy, he brought the chest to his own treasury, filled it with jewels and pearls, and sent him and said, thank you, for your gift so Nahum takes home right even more jewels than he even came with plus the goodwill of the emperor. okay the story continues when Nahum on his way back he slept in the same inn as on the way there. I don't know he didn't learn his lesson <laughs> that uh, this is uh, not a safe place. So the residents, the thieves were surprised and says, what did you bring with you to the emperor that he gave you such honor and he gave you such gifts? What, what happened? He says, I don't know. Whatever I took from here, I gave to them. So right, he's making believe like he didn't even understand what the problem was. Like he didn't realize that he was robbed. So the people said, wait, what did we send, put in there? Just our dirt. I guess he really liked that dirt. It must be something special. So the residents, <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew> they went and tore down their, their houses and they went and to get the soil. They needed more soil to bring to the king's palace. This must be special soil because, right? Look, it did miracles. So they needed more. So they had to knock down their own houses to get more, and they brought it in, 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 in boxes to the palace. And then they went to the emperor and says, you know, remember that that miracle dirt? That was actually ours. is from our property. And here we're bringing more of it. So they checked it. They brought it to the battlefield and it was just dirt. It was nothing. And then the emperor uh, said, what are you making fun of me? And he put those resident thieves to death. Okay, it's a funny story, because not only do they die, but I think it's funny that they also knock down their houses to get the rubble, just to, uh, um, or dirt underneath, in order to send it to the emperor, so they get back what was coming to them, what they tried to do to Nachum Ish Gamzo, and you see, turns out, Nahum was right, everything is for the best. All right. Now we get back to the Mishnah. So the Mishnah wanted to know what is the legal definition of a plague and that it would be sufficient to start doing fasting. And it said, if you have a city that can produce 300 soldiers um, and in that, so that would be, you know, uh, uh, maybe uh, maybe has 5,000 people in it or something. If you include all the ma- women and children and elderly and uh, and you have three people die three days in a row right one person each day then that uh, so it's not just that if you have even if you have a lot of people on one day it's not yet a plague maybe it's just a, a really bad thing that happened on one day it's not called a plague unless it's spread out but at least in that concentration at least okay and so, this uh, we're learning from here that it's actually a ratio. So, this is a, a, a city that has 1500 soldiers, so three times what the example in the Mishnah, like the village of Akko. And then, in that case, if you would, since it's three times the amount of population, you'd multiply everything else by three. So, if you have nine people who die altogether, three people on each day for three days in a row, then that would be called a plague. And so it all depends on the per capita amount. If nine people die on one day, or uh, nine die over a course of four days, and so on one day only one or two or zero die, then that's not called a plague. Um, It's a sickness, it's still bad. But it doesn't become officially a plague that you have to make the serious fasts on those days. But on the other hand, a city that has 500, so then you would do um, a th- a three, one on each day, and that would be called David. But if all three die on one day, or over four days, meaning on one day if someone doesn't die, so it's not three in a row, then that's not David. Okay, so that's the explication of the Mishnah. And now a story that um, uh, about this. <speaking in Hebrew> so a city called the, the rockart, and it was that size of the that the Mishnah says five hundred soldiers would live there. <speaking in Hebrew> and three people died on one day. So according to what we just said, um, that's not David. That's just you know a uh, a very um, intense uh, disease of some kind. But not the kind that would uh spread and would be cause the same alarm as a plague would. Gezadav Nachman bar Rav Chista ta'anita, and nevertheless, uh, Rav Nachman, the son of Rav Chista, said, "We're going to make a fast day, a public fast." Amar Rav Nachman bar Itzchak, keman kidebimei d'amar ichek negi chotav chayav kereb negi chotav lokol sheken. So Rav Nachman bar explained the uh, this this behavior. Of Rav, of Rav Nachban, the son of Rav Chista, as follows, he says, "Oh, he must follow the bimeir regarding an ox that gores." So, regarding an ox that gores, the usual case is if uh, an ox kills three people, one on each day, then it be, then it's a shor muad. But what about what if it kills three people on one day? Oh, in that case, some people say no, but the bimeir says. Um, uh, says a if it killed three people on three different days, and yet it's chayav and it's called shor Mu'ad, then if it if it killed three people on one day. All the more so. That's even that's even more dangerous, and that would be called a short moad. And so, therefore, he used an analogy of the ox the ox that kills to the plague. If a plague that kills one person each day for three days is called a plague, then if it kills three people on one day, that's even worse. And so, certainly, you should make a taanit. And so, that Nachman Barislak was able to explain the law. Who was a resident of that area, um, heard what Rav Nachman said. And that, uh, that comparison between Shod and the plague was brilliant uh, brilliant legal analysis. And he said, I want the master to come and live with us. Right? You are, you are worthy. We want you to be our teacher. And so, come, come, uh, move to to our city. So he declined to come to the city based on the brayt. Rabbi bios said, uh, "The place of a person is not what gives him honor, but rather the a person honors the city." His point is that. You know, you're inviting me to come to a bigger city with prominent people in it. And most people would say, oh, see, um, by moving, I will be be, I will be more honored. But he's not seeking honor. And he says, right, it's not the place that that brings a person honor, but rather honor is is conferred on a place that has a great person in it. So it doesn't matter if I'm a great person. It doesn't matter where I am and I don't have to move somewhere in order to seek honor. So I, uh, I'm not so special, I will stay in my place. and if honor should come to me where I am, then uh, then so be it. And so he declines to move. Shekin Sinai and we see other place, a few examples of where a place itself does not have intrinsic value. Oh, if I go there, then I'll be special, but rather it's uh, a value is conferred upon a place because of, someone or something that happens there. So in Har Sinai, as while the Shekhinah came upon the mountain during Matan Torah, uh, then the mountain was holy and special. And during that time, we had to make a law and say, make sure that none of the animals come near the, near, near the mountain. It's a holy place. And, um, uh, it was dangerous for them. It's not, not appropriate for them. But after, the after Matan Torah was over, right, shows over, Shekhinah leaves. So then when the Shofar sounds, a long sound to say, to announce that the ceremony is completed, then when the shekhinah finish finishes, then everyone can go up the mountain. All the people, the animals. Then the mountain is not holy anymore. The mountain is not holy in and of itself. It's just a, it's just a mound of rocks. It's only holy when there is divine presence there. So too, a city will be a special city if the right if there's righteous people in it. But not it's not the city that makes them honored, but there are, it's them that make the city honored. And uh, similarly, before, um, uh, yeah, when there was uh, when they were encamped in the desert, the Ol mo'ed was uh, was was holy, and then anyone who had sarat had to leave the camp. Um, but that's only when Ol mo'ed, when the Mishkan was put together and was standing. Then they have to go out. But then, once they were traveling and they rolled up the uh, the the parochet, the curtain, the whole ohel moed slash mishkan was uh, was was folded. So then the shekhinah is not there. Shekhinah is not among them. And then the camp is no longer holy. So it's not that place where they happen to camp uh, that makes it holy, but rather ohel moed being there. And once it uh, once it's on the move. And then that uh, that area is no longer holy. Okay. Amar le. Now Rav Nachman bar who was in that town, and he's the one that made the, extended the invitation. He didn't want to give up his uh, learning with Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak. He was the the master who made the analogy with the ox. So if he's not going to come to our town, I we should go to his town because we have to learn from him. Amarle after Rav Nachman Barisrak saw how insistent he is, and he said, you know, if you don't come to us, we're coming to you. So then he says, okay, I found another justification, different justification, and I will move. What is it? Mutav maneh ben pedas ben 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 Better for something worth a 100, the son of something worth, pedas means a half, 50. Uh, should go to someone who is 100, the son of 100. And the son of 100, the, and, and someone who's 100, the son of 100, should not go to 100, the son of 50. The point is that even though Rav Nachman Ba'itzchak is a great sage and has so much to teach, his lineage is not as great as that of by Ishaq, by, by Rav Nachman Ba'itzchak, the local rabbi. So this is therefore someone who's 100, right? He's, he's saying, I'm a 100, um, but my father was not so not so great. He was not such a learned scholar. So I don't have lineage uh, like Rav Nachman by Rav Chista. He's a hundred, the son of a hundred. So therefore, um, my lineage is not so great. It's okay. I will give. I will show Rav Nachman by Rav Chista honor by moving to his place. Even though Rav Nachman by Yisraq is actually going to be the teacher and is going to grace the city with his presence. All right, beautiful story. Now. More stories regarding uh, plagues. Uh, there was a plague in Sura, in the city, in Babel. This city was where Rav was, it was the Rosh Hashiva. But in the neighborhood of Rav, there was no plague. Everywhere else there was plague, just not in his neighborhood. So everybody looking said, must be because of his merit. Sebaru mishum de rav. He has great merit. That's why the plague stopped uh, in his neighborhood. But uh, someone was revealed to the residents in a dream that this is not because of Rav's merit. Rav's merit is so great, it wouldn't be used up on small things like this. This is relatively small. Um, So uh therefore there's a different reason why this neighborhood was saved rather it's because of some guy, not a learned person, just a regular a regular man, but he did one good deed. He would always lend his hoe and his shovel for to people who needed to go um, bury their loved ones in a cemetery and then have to go through extra expense he would lend it to them. And so what you see here is that, you don't have to be the gadol the, hador the to have great merit. If just, do, just doing regular kind deeds, daily kindness, and on a regular basis, that is sufficient for having merit to avoid a plague coming to his neighborhood. Similar story. In this other city, there was a fire. The whole city was on fire, but his neighborhood was safe. The nafish must be because of Rav merit. He has great merit. But the people there saw in a dream, Rav is such great merit. This, this, is, this is beyond, this is too, too petty, a small thing. This is like, you know, asking the mayor of the city to come pick up the garbage in front of your house. So he's, he's dealing with bigger things than that. Um, You know why this neighborhood was saved? Because there's a a, a woman there. She heats up her oven uh, on, on Fridays and she would let other people Come, or maybe other times too, and she will let her neighbors come and use the oven. People who are poor, then have wood, then have an oven, uh, so they could come and cook their food in her oven. Right, a simple act of kindness from a simple person, and don't underestimate that. Uh, underestimate it. That also brings great merit. Amru le the Rav Yehuda atu so they, at one time they told Rav locusts have come. We've we've seen them. They're in our area. Gazat anita. And he said, "Oh, locusts, very dangerous. They'll destroy all the crops." So he made a fast day. Amarule laka He says, "Yeah, wait, hold on. You go. Don't jump to conclusions. They're not. Uh, um, they're not destroying anything. The locusts are just. They're there. They're 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 flying around." But, they, you know, they're not, they're not eating anything. a sharp line. What did they bring their suitcases with them? Did they bring their provisions? They brought their food with them and they're not eating crops. Just wait. You'll see they're going to come and destroy everything. Maybe they're full. They just uh, ate up a whole farm that, you know, in a different city. Um, but they're, they're, the, the danger is here. They are going to come. Uh, So we have to make a fast right away. Don't delay. Same sage, um, right? He knew how to see danger coming, even from far. So one time there was a plague among the pigs. And he made a fast. So why would he do that? What does he think? That a plague affecting one species will come and, and uh, affect another species. This is a pig, a pig disease. It's not going to affect human beings, right? Pl- diseases don't jump from one, uh, one species to another. Well, we know that that's wrong now. Um, uh, so that's true in general that one species of one species doesn't affect the other, but pigs are different because their intestinal tract is actually similar to human beings. I think science does bear out that there are some anatomical similarities between human bodies and uh, those of pigs. Uh, so he said, you have to worry. Um, so he knew his stuff, he knew his, uh, his medicine and science and knew that this is a danger. They told Shmuel there's a, there's a plague in this faraway city, Behozai. He heard this. Even though it's far away, he made a fast. They said it's so far away, it's not going to come here. Why are you so worried? Listen, there's no uh, there's no river that's, uh, that's crossing here that will stop it, right? And so therefore it travels and it will come here uh, as long as there's, you know, there's people uh, traveling back and forth, it will come here too. Not so far. They told Rahman, who lives in Babel, they said, listen, there's a plague in Israel. He made, uh, um, he made a fast all the way in Babel. His reason is, if the master, the mistress of a house, uh, is afflicted, the maidservants won't be. All, all the more so. Uh, the analogy is: Eretz Yisrael the mistress; she is the, is the princess; she's the important person, and she deserves a plague. We, Bavel, are a lower level, and certainly we will be. We will uh, get a plague. I guess this must have happened in, 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 in homes where there's the, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 owners of the home would get sick then the maidservants also. They're living within, with worse conditions or worse food than the masters. So if a disease spreads, then they will certainly get it. And so we on we are uh, we are less worthy than Eretz Yisrael, so we analyze the story. Tamadigibiravashivcha. The only reason in this case that amnachman made a fast is because it was from Eretz Yisrael coming to Bavel. So if they don't have merit, then we all certainly won't have merit to save us. Hashivcha la. But what if there's two cities in Bavel, two cities that are just they're both maidservants. servants? So then uh, maybe it would be less likely because one maidservant servant is sick. The maid servant may not may not get sick. Maybe she's uh, maybe she's not susceptible to that uh, disease as much. And they're on the same level, not not higher to lower. But this is contradicted by another story um, where they came and told Shmuel. They told Shemuel, there's um, there's a a, a a plague in hosai and he's in the Nehardea, and even though they are both both in Bavail, he's nevertheless made a ta'anit. <speaking in Hebrew> no, that's also different because there are caravans. That's a route that go back and forth. So the caravans are going to bring the plague from one place to another. And we, we, we know from now from our recent experience how even if there's a plague in one, one country, as long as there's one flight, all it takes is one flight to another country, and it will spread in that other country as well. So you see that the uh, amazingly, um, unfortunately, the uh, the in ancient times they had a lot of experience with uh, plagues, and uh, they and the sages knew how dangerous they were, and they knew how to take precautions against them. All right. <laughs> Okay, we're going to end with this uh, long story um, about the, uh, the point is about the merits of even ordinary people can have great merit, sometimes equal to or above that of great sages. So there was a man named Abba Umana. Abba, just a regular name, and he was a bloodletter. Um, what we would call a doctor today, um, and uh, and uh, he would receive greetings from Metivta from the heavenly of the from the heavenly uh, Metivta yeshiva every day. Uh, what this means, maybe a bat kol would come out and say, "Good morning, Abba, the blood letter." Right, every day he got a sign from heaven that said, "You know, you're you're okay." Well, Abay- Abaye received that same sign only once a week. And Rava, that's Abaye's colleague, he received that sign only once a year on erev Yom Kippur. So this is quite amazing that this uh, simple blood letter was, uh, you know, was uh, more deemed more worthy to receive this divine greeting than these greatest sages of the time. So Hava Teda Abaye Mishum Umana Abaye was was depressed. He says, you know, I, I work so hard, I learn so much Torah, I teach so much. Right? I try to be so righteous and yet I can't reach the level of this simple abba the uh, blood letter. So he wants to know what is by what merit So he said to him, you can't do what he does right There's no way that you can reach his level. So now we're curious, what does he do? That's so great. When he would perform his surgeries, he would do put men separately and women separately. You have to be modest. After all, during the surgery, probably uncovering uh, different limbs of the body to do bloodletting. And it's more appropriate that it should be done in separate quarters. In a special garment with a slit just in the place where he makes the incision for the bloodletting. And that way, um, uh, when someone comes, when a woman would come, for this procedure, he would give her the special garment, so that he would not uh, see anything immodest in her. Right? Although in such a situation, it would be um, it would be excusable for him. He's uh, doing uh, important surgery to see those exposed limbs, but he went the extra mile to say, "I don't even, I, I don't want to. Uh, I even want to be suspected of that." And so he used a special garment. Furthermore, he had a hidden place in his uh, office where the customers would pay uh, and put their coins there. And so, and he didn't count. If whoever has can afford it, they would put money there. If you couldn't afford it, then you would, you would put less or nothing there and wouldn't be embarrassed. He didn't know who paid and who did not pay. If a Torah scholar came to the tank, came, he wouldn't take money. Generally, Torah scholars were so busy with that, they didn't have businesses and they it was difficult for them to afford it. So he said, you know, I want you to be healthy. And so um uh, after he was done, Abba would give him money and said, go get food. It's important to get better. After bloodletting, you feel very weak. Just like, you know, now when you give blood and we give much less blood than they took, I'm sure. And so you have to eat something to become healthier. And they, they, didn't, have, they didn't have money even for food. So not only would he not charge them, For the surgery, he would even give them food to go get, he would even give them money to buy food to get healthy. So, Abaye was curious about what what, what he did. So, he sent uh, two sages to investigate uh, what's going on with him. What does Abba, the bloodletter, do that's so great? So the blood letter, he sat them down and he gave them food and drink and he, he get m- put mats out for them to sleep. He really took care of them, uh, especially if I, I'm assuming that they actually did uh, a surgery. And so, you know, they felt tired. He says, come sleep here on these nice mats. So in the morning, they wanted to test him <laughs> see really how, just, just how great. Is he really uh, sincere about this? So they rolled up the rugs, these nice fancy rugs, um, uh, Persian rugs, right, that they had. And they, these, two rap, these two sages took the rugs with them. They, they stole the rugs. And so they go out in the marketplace and uh, Abba found them. Uh, met them there. And so then the sages said, Hey, look at these rugs. Hey, about how much you think these rugs are worth? So they're goading him right now. Anyone normal, if uh, you know, if that happened to you, you would say, Hey, those are my rugs. So what happened? Why did, why did you steal these rugs? Give them back to me. But he didn't say that. I think uh, they're worth about uh, this much. <laughs> no, maybe they're more, right? They're like you know they couldn't believe it. <laughs> he says no, that's what I paid for them. That's what they're worth. <laughs> he says, yeah, well these rugs are yours. We we took them from you, right? He was like I bought the same ones for the same price for this price. He says no, these are yours, but he wasn't angry. So the sages were so baffled, they said, we have to ask you a question. Um, When we took the rugs, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? Didn't you suspect us of something? I assume that all of a sudden you heard that there was someone that was taken hostage and you had to raise money quickly in order to redeem the person. And that's why you took the, the rugs um, and uh, to go and uh, save someone's life. So the sages were just amazed that he, you know, they did this terrible thing to him and he just, he, he suspected nothing bad. So, Um, so they, uh, so they, they, so they said, um, okay, here, we want to give you back the, the rugs, right here, give them back. They're yours. And we see how righteous you are. So from the moment I saw they were gone, I already dedicated them for charity. I already said, um, assume they're using them for a good reason. They'll be, they'll be my sedaka, And so therefore, since I already gave them, I can't take them back. This is tzedakah money. These rugs, so he, they wouldn't take them back. Havaka, So that's that's end of the story. See how 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 righteous he is. That even after all that, he wouldn't even take back and says, you know, go give them to a poor person. Okay. So this abba, right? He's just he, everybody thinks he's you know just a just a simple person. I like compare him to a doctor, but really in those days. Uh, in more recent times, uh, the barbers were also bloodletters. So you know he's just a practitioner, not not a great sage, not someone so well known. And yet his simple acts of kindness to so many people gave them that merit that he was he got the divine greeting every single day. Okay. In the meantime, so now Rava says, okay, I can never reach the level of this Abba because uh, I'm not a bloodletter and he does all these great things. But how about my colleague? Rava only gets a greeting once a year, abaye, all the time. So what's with that? Um, so amru mistayich deka magnit akula karcha. And so uh, they got a message and it was said to him, maybe also in a dream, says, don't worry, you protect your entire city, right? So um, you, you have great merit and your merit protects the city from plague and all these things. And uh, so different people, different people's merits uh, go to different places. And it's not up to us to know how to count and how not to count. Um, but everybody should, you know, be, be their best, be righteous. And uh, that merit will be a blessing for them. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen v'amen.